On today's show, we discuss aspects of the new Twin Peaks that you might not want to hear if you haven't experienced the first four hours yet. Although it's clear that John and I are speculating, some of the items discussed could be considered spoilers. You've been warned. Enjoy. Agent Cooper, listen to the sounds. It is in our house now. It all cannot be said aloud now. Remember, 430, Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone. You are far away. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Balls, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. A production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at Syncbook. It's Monday, May 22nd, and today we'll return to a place both wonderful and strange. Yes, the stars have turned, and a time has presented itself. You better believe we are all chewing that out-of-style gum right now, and, and this morning we'll consider all this with Twin Peaks historian John Thorne. For 13 years, John was co-editor of the magazine Wrapped in Plastic, where he wrote extensively about Twin Peaks and other works by David Lynch and Mark Frost. He is the author of the book The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, Pathways to Twin Peaks. You can follow John on Twitter at ThorneWIP or reach him through the website abovethestore.blogspot.com. He's been a guest of 42 Minutes twice previously, to which we link, and he has a new magazine that's available at this time, The Blue Rose, to which we'll link. How are you doing this morning, John? I am very tired this morning, <laughs> but I'm doing great. I'm doing really, really great. Okay, so then I'm guessing you watched four hours of Twin Peaks last night. Is that correct? Yes, and I've watched a total of six hours of, of Twin Peaks in that I've watched the first two hours twice because I saw the premiere Friday night. And we'll talk about on Monday morning. It was Friday night I was in L.A. So I, I guess it's somewhat a, nice to have seen it that twice. Um, so I've got a lot of Twin Peaks running around in my head right now. Do you feel like after watching the first two hours twice, you have a better perspective or more context? Or do you think it's enigmatic because it, it has to be? Well, let me just say right up front, I love it. I'm extremely happy with I was just having seen the first two hours by itself and had it 48 hours to kind of ruminate on it. Um, I, I was, was ecstatic and happy. Uh, I, after watching the same two hours again, I was even happier. I, I couldn't believe how much more happy I, I didn't think it was possible. Uh, and, uh, and then of course I watched the following two hours, but, um, having seen the first two hours twice, I, I don't know if I could say that I understand it any better, but I did notice a few things that might connect with other things. It did seem to me to be, uh, there's obviously dozens probably of plot lines that are being introduced and that are slowly unfolding and will probably link up in some direct and indirect ways. I, I did see those pathways um, being formed a little more clearly uh, as I watched those first two hours a second time. And then oh, I just have to figure out <laughs> what was your most, what was the most Twin Peaks moment that you watched? 
Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> that really will tell a lot about you as what you think Twin Peaks is. Um, the most, wow, the most Twin Peaks moment. You know, that, that, you know, honestly, that depends on how you define a Twin Peaks moment. And I don't mean to, to try to, to dodge your question. I won't. But I will say, you know, the most classic Twin Peaks moment was Laura Palmer appearing to Dale Cooper and coming over and whispering in his ear again and, and repeating, you know, the same scene we've seen before. Only this time it's kind of fraught with some new tension and some new potential. Uh, so there's that. Um, the most new Twin Peaks moment was probably the evolution of the arm, which is this strange, fleshy knob at the top of an electrified tree in the Red Room, which, you know, leave it to David Lynch to once again totally, you know, blow our minds with imagery <laughs> that's unexpected and startling and off-putting and intriguing all at the same time. So, you know, those those images both, you know, recall the old Twin Peaks and show that we're going to venture into some, you know, wonderful, mysterious new territory. Well, now, I, I imagine just because the, the role that you play, you have an understanding of, of things beyond the casual observer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but may, maybe... Uh, Maybe I've got the backstory so ingrained in my head that I could pick up a few threads here and there a little easier. Before we really start picking it apart, though, because like yeah. the idea of the arm, so this is the evolution of the arm, mm -hmm. which is, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, the character that Michael J. Anderson played, is that correct? Uh, yes, and, and he was only defined as, quote, the arm, uh, um, in, in the movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, up until that point in the narrative, he had always been called the man from another place. And so his identity was a curious uh, being from this place. And then it was classified to some extent in the movie in that he was a personification of Mike's missing arm. Um, and then, of course, Michael J. Anderson, the actor, uh, did not participate in this new revival. So they just said, well, we still need that character and why not redefine him or it as something completely, uh, completely different. But yes, just as a quick answer to your question, I believe, especially since the one armed man is the person who introduces this, this entity. Uh, yes, it is what Michael J. Anderson's little man used to be. Right. And, and you know, some other actors for various reasons couldn't or didn't, uh, either, but they, uh, David Lynch has never let the lack of an actor <laughs> prevent him from moving forward either with the same character or redefining the character. He did it in Firewalk with Me. Uh, so anyway. Sure, right. And one of the kind of bittersweet things that I recognized last night was that I saw, I saw actors, many actors that have, uh, they have passed now. Um, yes. reprising roles. What familiar faces yes. did you see? Well, I mean, I think the one that is the most emotional for sure is Catherine Coulson appearing um, as a very ill log lady in the new uh, in the new series. And of course, that um, is is because in real life, Catherine Coulson was very sick uh, at that point 
in her life and uh she did have cancer and she passed away she actually if i'm if my timeline is right and i'm i'm still have to you know go back and look at all this but i'm fairly certain that she passed away before principal photography started on the series and so uh, her scenes were shot well in advance of actually assembling the cast and going on location. I, I think Lynch knew that she was ill and, um, and made sure to get some scenes with her filmed and that he could integrate them into the story. That, that appearance by her, and especially in the state she was in, uh, was really the most emotional part uh, in terms of being a longtime fan and having met her many, many times. She was such a wonderful person. So, so you know, that was, that was, um, it was bittersweet. Uh, Miguel Ferrer also passed, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Miguel Ferrer, uh, uh, he recently passed away. and He appears in the... Um, uh, the second two hours, and again, forgive me because it's all boring now. I don't remember if he actually appeared in the third hour or if it wasn't until the fourth hour that we first see him. But he, um, yes, he he's back as you know uh, Albert Rosenfield, and uh, uh, it was great to see him uh, on screen. Uh, he, of course, passed away after the entire photography, principal photography had had completed. He finished his role. Uh, as it was intended, uh, as far as I know. And so, you know, that, uh, it's very sad to see him, but at least he was able to be there and fully, you know, integrate with the story. Don Davis also, I just saw, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I saw his face for mm-hmm. a, a second. Yes. Yes. They was a strange image of his face pass across a star field, uh, and, and utter the words blue rose. Uh, I don't exactly know how they did that. I imagine it was some sort of computer-generated effect and uh, not actual footage from the old series, Uh, although it might be some combination of the two. Nowadays, they're able to to do just about anything with with the images. But, yeah, uh, he made the the briefest of appearances. And, of course, at the end of all of these episodes, any of the actors who – uh, had passed away, were acknowledged uh, in the credits uh, as a sort of in-memoriam tribute. So we saw uh, Catherine Coulson acknowledged. We saw Frank Silva acknowledged, who appeared as Bob, but from footage from the final episode of Twin Peaks. Um, and, and so they acknowledged him. They acknowledged um, Miguel Ferrer and Don Davis. Uh, those two actors, too, uh, also passed away uh, in you know, with Ferrer just very recently. And then Don Davis, I think it might have been 10, 15 years ago. Hmm. Well, now, when you guys came up with, well, we need to get into the magazine a little bit, but did you have yeah. any sense? I mean, of course, did you have any sense the Blue Rose was going <laughs> to figure so prominently right off the bat? Uh, no. And, you know, the name Blue Rose, like the name Rack and Plastic, was just an effort on our part to take an iconic uh, uh, phrase from the series uh, and uh, or film in this case, and uh, use it to sort of you know be an obvious reference to Twin Peaks without having to use the words <laughs> Twin Peaks. <laughs> and 
I assumed Blue Rose, since it seemed to be so enigmatic and important in Firewalk with Me, could very well um, make you know a reappearance in this new show. I had argued at one point that it might simply have been uh, a dream idea uh, that you know the words "the Blue Rose" were something that that Agent Cooper might have simply just imagined as he was dreaming, but. The, the text in Firewalk with Me was certainly open to the possibility that there were these very bizarre cases that were classified as Blue Rose cases or incidents. And uh, with with the show having 18 hours to kind of continue on, uh, it was inevitable that that term would, would come back into play. Whether they will define it any more clearly or not, uh, is, we're, we're waiting to see. All right. Well, let's talk. I mean, so this is the exciting thing from uh, one standpoint yeah. is that now your history is so this this thing happens and it's so enigmatic. You start you co-found a magazine and then you chew on it, ruminate for years and years and years. But now, 20. Meanwhile, 25 years later, now mm-hmm. you're like being pulled into this thing because of your role. <laughs> I'm seeing you pop up on uh, like Showtime uh, <laughs> promotional materials <laughs> and also you, you know the idea you went to the 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 premiere in in Hollywood yes yeah um well you know i i i just consider myself very very lucky um uh, i think i think showtime was trying to embrace the fans when they were promoting the show and they were somewhat limited in terms of being able to promote it with any new material and they wanted to embrace the history of the show and they found out about me. I think it's, you know, probably inevitable. It's at some point you come across wrapped in plastic if you're looking at, uh, at the history of Twin Peaks fandom. And so, you know, they were, they were very kind to reach out to me and invite me to participate in the, essentially their promotional uh, documentary that they were working on uh, for, for the new Twin Peaks. So, I, yeah, I got to go to, out to New York and go into Showtime and sit down and, and uh, have some on-camera interviews done, which they then you know, took snippets of those and stuck them in to their promotional material. <clears throat> and then I was, I was probably even more fortunate in that I had made contact with Mark Frost over the years of the magazine. And then uh, a little bit uh, in just the recent few years, I had, I had stayed in contact with him. And uh, he was extremely, extremely kind enough to extend an invitation to me to the premiere of, of Twin Peaks in L.A. So uh, I got a ticket to go into this real exclusive screening and see it with the cast um, and then go to the party afterwards and, uh, and then visit with the cast. So it was a dream come true for me. Wow. And, and uh, what about people... Do you, any of your compatriots from the fan world were there too, or do you think you had pretty much an ex- <laughs> exclusive view? Well, I mean, you know, it, I I think there were some, there were definitely some other folks there who were connected to the fan world, uh, and I I'm sure uh, that they, had, you know, if Showtime could have, uh, you know, done you know, everything they wanted, they would have had more fans in attendance. But it was so, you know, such a big cast and so many. Showtime people and VIPs and and all that to fit into this auditorium that they were very limited in, in who they could invite. Uh, 
So there were a couple of other fans there for sure. Um, and I was able to kind of hang out with them. We were kind of the fan contingent, but it was somewhat limited. And then was, is when you go to a fancy premiere, do they, is it an assigned seated situation or is it a kind of free for all? Yes. It oh, is. Oh no, it was very much an assigned, <laughs> assigned seat. I had a pretty good seat. I will tell you, uh, I was slightly on the side of the theater uh, but I was two rows back from Kyle McLaughlin. He was directly in front of me. And so I was able to kind of watch him before the show start and watch him interact with some people and, and uh, respond to some of the, uh, you know, the various pre-screening speeches that were, that were being given. And that was, that was very much fun to see him in, in such close proximity. So I had a real, I had, honestly, I had a really good seat, I guess. Huh. And this is kind of blowing my mind because... So you're right there with all of them, right? So Kyle McLaughlin, yeah. uh, Laura Palmer, David Lynch, yeah. all of them. Well, uh, David Lynch, he came out uh, on stage and introduced the film. I can't tell you for sure, and others might know much better than I, whether or not he stayed for the screening or not. I, he, uh, he didn't seem to go back and down into the audience. So he was there, uh, he was kind of far away across the room. Uh, and that was really the only glimpse I had. I didn't see him again for the rest of the evening. Okay, and then uh, <laughs> what? what is a Hollywood party yeah. like? Uh, a, like a post-screen uh, party? <laughs> it was unlike anything I'd ever been to before, honestly. I mean, I you know did various parties in my life, but this was something else entirely. I mean, we, we went to this uh, nightclub afterwards. It was a very big nightclub, four stories, and they had it completely decorated with almost life-size, uh, artificial trees inside uh, the chromatics who play in the, uh, the you know the last few minutes of the second hour at the roadhouse uh, were singing there. I mean, I was you know I was able to go up and talk to them <laughs> afterwards, so I was I was right there, able to, to watch their their wonderful performance. And the actors were all milling about. I mean, I spoke with probably dozens of of actors, uh, old and new. Uh, from from the show, it was it was really quite delightful because some of the very young actors, well, this was either their first role or you know one of their very first you know recent roles in in their career, and they were just absolutely thrilled. They were giddy, and they they would come up to me and and talk to me, and they were excited to see me and 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 tell me about what they were doing. Which, you know, to a certain extent, they couldn't talk too much, but they were beside themselves with joy and that was just a, a just so much fun to be part of that to be kind of mingling around with the the veterans and the newcomers it was it was great you know that's actually something that kind of has struck me david lynch likes to kind of tell a historical uh, story with his casting sometimes you know and and i you don't i didn't realize this for, at first so like uh people with really interesting acting heritage so someone like russ tamblin who was in west side story or peggy lipton mm -hmm. was in the mod squad so mm -hmm. like he mulholland drive is like that where there's this history of cinema somewhat but the yeah, the sure. interesting thing to me though is how some of the people that were in twin peaks you know they didn't go on to become like giant stars or anything they they did something right. really really good and really interesting and so there's almost this this perspective where uh some of these actors are almost like 
normal people. You know, like life goes on after Twin Peaks and all of a sudden they're pulled <laughs> I, back into, you know, the the amazing swirl of Hollywood. Yeah, I, you know, I can say a couple things about that. First of all, I, I would say that almost all the actors uh, that I've met over the years and then also at the party are very grounded people. They're, uh, they understand, uh, you know, uh, how how great an experience it's been to work with David Lynch and to work in Twin Peaks, but they they're very accessible. They're very friendly. Uh, I think Dana Ashbrook is a great example of someone who is just so approachable, who treats you like a peer. Uh, Everett McGill is the same way. Uh, he played Big Ed. Dana Ashbrook played Bobby Briggs. And so, yeah, they're 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 genuine people, and and they're. And they're friends, I think, among themselves. I watched, I was able to observe uh, Dana Ashbrook and um, Gary Hirschberger, who played Mike, and Cheryl Lee, Machin um They were all um, socializing together, out among everyone else, but chatting among themselves, almost as if it was a little family reunion. It was really neat. The other thing is, I think they're all great actors. I think they're all wonderful actors, and you're right that they, they didn't quite make it in this highly competitive Hollywood environment. And in some ways, I think that really has helped the new Twin Peaks. Um, because when we see in the fourth hour, uh, Dana Ashbrook as Bobby again, uh, we see Bobby, we see him 25 years later now, and we don't see Dana, Dana Ashbrook. And I, I'm not in any way trying to diminish Dana Ashbrook because he's a great person and a great actor, but um, it added to the impact because we aren't used to seeing Dana Ashbrook everywhere. And, and there he was. And we, we, I, we, I connected with him right away as his character. I thought it was great. Okay. So yeah, let's, let's <laughs> kind of get into it. So the, uh, the first two hours to me felt kind of like uh, Mulholland Drive did where, you know, you're being thrown a lot of different bones because sure. it's, you know, you're, here's all these different threads and that right now they really seem disconnected, but of course they're, yeah. they will all come together. Um, but that fourth hour, that felt like <laughs> an episode of Twin Peaks to me where the first two hours had elements that were like uh, quintessential Twin Peaks moments. When you, the first time you see Ben Horn and then Jerry comes mm -hmm. in and it's like, Oh yeah. 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 This is, yep. Yep. this is zany. And, and heartwarming. Right. Speak about that a little bit. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think when you talk about an 18-hour story, story, and it is an 18-hour story, it's not really 18 individual episodes. It's just broken up into 18 parts. Uh, obviously, it's going to take its time to set the groundwork for the story to come because – you know, Lynch likes to take his time. It is a complicated story with a great many characters. So we can't just sort of jump, you know, right into to all these narratives at once. We need to have them kind of doled out to us over time. And I think he was willing to take his time setting that stage with some of this new material and this old material very methodically, very carefully. And that's what you see in the first two hours and even in the third hour. And then it was time in that fourth hour to kind of, kind of, yeah, bring us back 
to Twin Peaks as if it were an episode. The fourth hour, then I'm sure that's why Showtime wanted to get that fourth hour out on the same evening. I always thought it was curious that they were willing to put four hours out. And I always thought there had to be a reason why they wanted everyone to get to that fourth hour. And of course, I think I know why now, because that fourth hour was so much reminiscent of the original series. We spent... Uh, a great deal of time with characters uh, and settings from the original series. And we had, I would say, some of the absolute funniest dialogue and interactions uh, of the four hours. I mean, I, it was the first time I was laughing out loud in joy uh, and just in the zany humor, um, particularly with Gordon Cole. I thought it was just, it was Twin Peaks again in that way that we remember it from the, the first televisual experience of Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, the, the, I think the, the character that made me crack up the most is <laughs> Andy and Lucy's child, who's 24 uh, years old now. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, that may be a character that's going to split some people, you know, like uh, some people are going to embrace it and some people might, might be turned off because I, I, I've already heard different reactions this morning already i i think it was just yeah typical there's this character who's obviously been in many ways impacted by the presence of marlon brando in his life and so has taken on (laughs) this persona of marlon brando and uh it took me a minute to figure that out as i was watching it i was like what is this and i thought oh he thinks he's marlon brando and they're all humoring him (laughs) so i was like okay all right yeah that's that's good i like that yeah i will say if I, i just just jump in. I will say that seeing uh, um, David Duchovny reprise his role as Denise Bryson only now in this spectacularly new <laughs> position of authority within the federal government, especially in this day and age when things are going on in the real world, uh, it, it was a pure delight to see him. I, I'm not revealing. Maybe you want me to. I'm not, we're not revealing what his position is, or her position is, but I can if, if you want me to, well, to say. I think I'll, I'll put that in the show notes that we're definitely, if you haven't watched the ep, the four hours, you, you probably need to do yeah. that because we don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but we're definitely speculating on what's going on based on what what we've seen. So we're speculating on quite a bit, but but I mean clearly, uh, you know, Denise Bryson's role was defined, and it was just it, it's absolute perfection. It's just well, I couldn't get she, any better. Is she the director of the FBI, or just yeah? yeah he she uh, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I I, I want to be you know I want to be accurate here. I think Denise refers to herself as a woman, so uh, she. Uh, she she is, yeah, she's the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. She is in charge of the entire FBI. And she's Gordon Cole's boss. With, right. And then if you think about that in context of... So the FBI is an enigmatic organization, but especially now with it so prominently in the news, it's just, it's it's pure lynch. It's like this bleed over into yeah. reality with... It somehow Lynch has a way of anticipating things that are going to happen in the culture and in, you know, in the in the world at large. And he he uh, you know he did it again because um, you know here we are with you know wouldn't we all want Denise Bryson to be head of the FBI right now? Of course we would. <laughs> so uh, 
Uh, and then there, there she is. It was just perfection. What about here's the here's the interesting thought to me. So there there was this this book and Mark Frost's book is fabulous and I enjoyed it so much, but I don't know if it has any grounding in the Twin Peaks that I know f- visually or you, do you? Uh, I mean, it well, does I and think, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, and he's obviously very deliberate about how he did that book. Um, he wanted it to be a puzzle, and he wanted it to be challenging and uh, confusing, I think, deliberately. Um, and it was a taste of what was to come. He has admitted that, you know, that, that clarification will come in time. Uh, whether or not it'll be total clarification or not, I, I highly doubt it would be, but that it would, it would connect. And, and, and so certainly I think in the fourth hour of, of what we saw, uh, we had some absolute direct connections to that book, uh, with the appearance of the new, uh, uh FBI agent, uh, played by Krista Bell, Tamara Preston, who is the person in Frost's book, who is, who is analyzing these documents. Uh, so there she is. And then also Bobby Briggs, recalling uh, what happened, what he knew of what had happened between his father, Major Briggs, and what we know now was probably the evil uh, uh, Dale Cooper. That is also referenced in at the end of Mark Frost's book. And so that, when, when he described that, when, when Bobby Briggs described that, you know, we were, we were tying directly into Frost's book at that point. So I, I think that Frost's book will very much inform this new series. I think it uh, makes it even more relevant and important to, to be aware of as you're watching the new show. And then in speculating about which roles are these, do you, do you feel like she's going to have a big role? Or do you think David Lynch is going to have a big role? You know, I can't believe how much Cooper, <laughs> how much Cooper there is. Like there is Kyle McLaughlin, uh-huh. and he is so out of character for what we're used to. I mean, it's it's fabulous. We've actually seen essentially Kyle McLaughlin play three characters so far in the four hours. So, uh, uh, yeah, he, he he's he's certainly been given uh, a lot to do. He's he's playing different characters with uh, obviously different personalities and and i think he's conveying them very well uh do i think we'll see more i mean i think the fbi is is obviously pretty pretty involved now in in what is transpiring around the country and in this storyline and so i do think we'll see more of of gordon cole and and uh albert and more agents to come but, I mean, it's 18 hours. It's a large cast. I mean, there probably will be episodes go by where we don't see them at all as we follow these other threads and see how they there's, – there's so much. I mean, there's so much that still has only been hinted at. We had this handyman outside the apartment played by Max Perlich. Perlich, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he gets on the phone, you know, and says, I've got this, but it's all mine. You know, it's just this quick scene. It's, it's the 15-second scene. But, I mean, maybe nothing will come of it, but it sure seemed like it was the introduction to some clue. And there were those scattered throughout the four hours. Lots of things that just were sort of just dropped on us and then not returned to again yet. So lots to process and try to weave together. The glass box. Does that... (laughs) (laughs) What is the glass box? 
what does it symbolize? You know, why, why, why New York City? That's the other thing. So, you know, this is such a, you know, so we're in South Dakota, we're in Las Vegas, we're in New York. I, I think, yeah, I, I, I can only guess. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, there doesn't seem to be established in the Twin Peaks narrative up till now that there, there may be places on Earth that are uh, more in tune with other worlds or, or physical spots that you can access. Um, so, you know, other, these other realms, certainly Twin Peaks is one of those places. There's a lot of things going on in those mountains and, and in those woods. Um, there are, there, you know, that, that's been established that it is a location that maybe borders between worlds. And maybe there's a strange location in New York that also operates somewhat like that. Um, and so this box has been built to potentially capture or trap or rescue. I don't know. Uh, some of these entities from, uh, from this other realm, um, that of course is a wonderful mystery. They've really teased us with that and given us just enough information to kind of allow us to make some educated guesses. And I can't wait to find out more about it. When, when do we get to find out more about it? <laughs> Sometime over the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we've got, honestly, it doesn't end until September 3rd. So, I mean, we've got, we've got 16 weeks left. Is that how many? Or 15 weeks of... And do you uh, know, are they going to dole it out uh, one episode at a time on Sundays? Uh, as far as I understand, uh, for the most part, it'll be one hour a week. So, uh, But next week will be the actual airing, quote-unquote, of hours three and four, which were only available to us last night through the Showtime Anytime app. So if you didn't have that, if you were just sort of the, the regular viewer, I'm not sure there is such a thing as a regular viewer of Twin Peaks, but you were able to really see hours one and two. Hours three and four will play next week. Uh, but for those of us who watched all four hours, we won't get a new installment for two more weeks. So June 4th or 3rd or whatever the date is, that's that Sunday is when we'll get that fifth hour. And then it'll be hour, hour every week until the final night, which will be two hours. We will see the, the final two hours at one you know, one sitting, which makes sense because I'm sure there's going to be so much happening that to break it up, it, it would probably be detrimental to the viewing experience. So those last two hours will be uh, all on one evening. And and then, in terms of uh, this, you know, deep history and knowledge of behind the scenes, what's going on? Do you know? if they've been renewed for another season or is has there been any discussion uh, about that or do we have any, do we know anything <laughs> at all? I know. I really don't know anything at all. I, 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 you know, I, with Twin Peaks, you really just don't ever say, I guess it's over because, um, certainly for, for decades, I said, they will never be new Twin Peaks. So it's never going to happen. Um, and very, very happily I was proven wrong. Uh, it happened. So, you know, I, I think this story ends. I think there's some sort of conclusion on, on, on without doubt, it's going to be open to interpretation and, uh, you know, 
lots of uh, speculation as to you know what it meant and you know what might still happen. I think if it's a big hit for Showtime and they can entice Lynch, uh, you know, to commit to doing more, I think this was a massive undertaking for him. It took years and years from scripting to filming and editing. You know, can they entice him to come back and, and do so? I'm not sure. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a lot. I guess the short answer is who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if there's more. I think it, if there is more, it may not be 18 hours worth. I mean, uh, Lynch may say, okay, you know what? I, there's room for me to do another four hours, so I'll do two two-hour movies, or you know, I'll do six hours and explore it. I, yeah. I, I, it's a possibility. Um, again, with anything, if Showtime finds this to be a big, big hit for them, I'm sure they're going to want there to be more, and it really ultimately will be up to David Lynch whether or not you know he wants to commit to any more. Uh, I think Mark Frost would would happily jump back on to to it because um, I think he loves writing about this this world. And that's so that's what I was thinking about that you know as I'm watching this that. Uh, because so I'm gonna watch you know like I love how David Lynch will slow us down right so yep. you think in terms of methodical movements and watching people do these actions that are just you know like when when uh, Cooper was kind of uh, in the Black Lodge but traveling as it were and we're getting all this backward stuff and jump cuts and weird things right and he kind of ends up in this mm-hmm. strange Starfield world you know it's like. David mm-hmm. Lynch challenges his viewers to just sit and watch, you know, to take, yes. you know, it's like, I think your, your casual viewer, because there's so much interest right now, <clears throat> is going to give it a level of attention that they wouldn't necessarily do. So they're willing to give it a shot in this initial moment. Mm-hmm. And so It'll, I'm really curious to see if it does become kind of a viral thing or if it's, you know, the moment's gone and people are like, well, that's weird. And then they go back to, <laughs> to everyday life. Well, you, you know what, what's going to happen? Uh, this, I think I can, say, I can say with some certainty it's going to be the same thing that happened in 1990 in that there is an audience out there who is hungry for a challenge and hungry for something that, you know, is, is, is new and, and thrilling and stimulating. And, uh, that audience is going to come to Twin Peaks. They're going to find it and they're going to embrace it and they're going to, they're going to celebrate it. Um, there's probably a great, great many viewers who are very young, who are ready for something. We do live in the golden age of television. Everyone says that, and I believe it. We are, we are lucky to watch some of the best dramatic television that's ever been produced. But I would say that even with shows that are as great as Legion, which was wonderful, uh, and Fargo Season 2, which was wonderful and challenging, um, you know, we are, we are kind of getting used to, and that's a bad way to say it, you know, this sort of level of television quality. So a show like Better Call Saul is probably the most um, engaging show on TV right now. It's just, you know, you watch it and the hour goes by in moments, but it is 
told in a, in, a, in a fairly routine way. There's four acts, there's rising action, there's a cliffhanger, there's that what's going to happen next. Great TV. I'm not taking anything away from it. But Twin Peaks has come along and said, yeah, okay, but you've been sitting back a little bit now. It's time to sit forward again. It's time to sit on the edge of your seat again. And, uh, and, and so um, it's a long answer to, to your comments there. I think there's an audience that, that will embrace this that has just been saying, okay, I needed that jolt. I needed that, you know, triple shot of caffeine, in my, you know, and, and there will be people who are like, it's not for me, but we live in a television in an age of, 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 of programming now where people can say, okay, it's not for me. And they can find something that is exactly for them and turn the channel and find just what they want. And this, new twin peaks is is there's an audience that wanted this and wasn't getting it let me put it that way and now here it is do you think so i think there's something really so right about not giving it as a binge like our whole culture oh. is everything all at once all now everything in the moment and so this is you know like i was saying david's methodical so when we're watching scrambled coop move you know he is mm-hmm. he is moving mm-hmm. painfully and he looks more like senior yeah. drool cup than cooper <laughs> uh yeah uh yeah but to, to to you know um comment on your binge comment um I, first of all there's a couple things i mean i know mark frost and david lynch both did not want this to be a series that would just all dump at once they wanted it to be spread out uh and 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 i'm so happy for that because we have this whole four months ahead of us or three and a half months ahead of us to to think about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and write about it and, and it's that's that's like a gift to us uh but uh, also, I'm not sure it would have been um, a kind thing to do to throw it all out at once. Because I will tell you, as you're talking to maybe one of you know biggest Twin Peaks fans there is, by the fourth hour, as much as I was delighting in it, I was um, I was I was getting an overdose. I was overwhelmed. It was so much to process. It was you know. I was late and I was watching these four hours and I was like, man, I kind of wish, and of course I had control. I didn't have to watch all four hours, but, um, it was so much, so much, like you say, the imagery and the, the, the just the denseness of the, uh, of the narrative. Um, we need it spread out. We, they're kind to us to give us a week between installments to just come down off of it, to think about it and to get ready again. We need seven days to go through that whole cycle. <laughs> so so it's, I can't imagine it being presented to us in any other way. As you say that, too, you know, I, I, I realize that even the Black Lodge is more dense at this point. It seems like the colors are more vivid. It just feels like there's more substance to everything. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously, you know, they had a bigger budget, probably they had more time at all. You know, they really were handed uh, um, much more creative control and, and freedom than they had in any of the other uh, instances of Twin Peaks. And even the film, uh, Lynch, you know, was under obligations to to get it done on budget, on time, on not that he didn't have some of those obligations here, but, but he was, you know, given a much freer hand. And so, yeah, you know, he, he took advantage of that. And so you're right. Even in the red room, it felt like a bigger red room. 
Yeah, and not to beat uh, belabor the point, but you know they're he, they're using computer animation now. They're just really mm-hmm. all the tools at their yeah. disposal to full effect and beautiful. We're just about. I mean, we're out of time, but I'm curious. Okay, <laughs> where does the magazine go, and then where do you go? What oh. do you What do you think after four hours? How are you uh, going to spend the summer? What are you going to do? Uh, well, uh, you know what? It's really it's 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 a gift. Uh, to be re-stimulated by this, um, this show. And I've got lots that I want to theorize on and debate. That's the beautiful thing about what Twin Peaks was in the beginning and is now is that there's no right answer. I don't think there will be any, you know, real right answer, uh, to what did that mean? And what was that? What happened there? Um, I I think there will be a fairly, fairly direct narrative for the most part. And we'll, we'll know, well, this person died, (laughs) that person did that, but, but there'll be so much to speculate on, to, to think about, to analyze. I will be, you know, I, what we're going to try to do with the magazine, we're hoping it's a long-term thing and that it's, it's um, unlike the internet where even this morning we're seeing these, these analyses come out that have only, you know, the, the people who've written them only had in some cases a few hours and maybe at best case 48 hours to kind of get their thoughts together and, and give us something of substance. Well, some of them are good and some of them aren't good. But with Twin Peaks, I don't think you can do it quickly. I think you need time to digest it and think about it. And that's why we want to do this magazine and have that time to get our thoughts together and put them in print and get them out there and then continue to do that you know, as the months and the years go by. So that, I think, I think a magazine kind of fits with Twin Peaks in that just like the Twin Peaks is going to be on week to week and not a binge watching experience. A magazine, unlike the internet, is going to be something that comes out month out, you know, every few months, and something you can hold in your hands and and read and reread and and take read at your own pace. Uh, and so I so I, that's I'm very happy about that. And so over the summer, uh, I'm just going to be taking notes on every episode and uh, you know preparing to write for the long term, if that makes any sense. It does. That was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. You've been listening to John Thorne on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. We'll link to all his pertinent information in the show notes. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And Albert, I hate to admit this, but I don't understand this at all.
to get pictures.